0: Good morning. Good morning. Where, it, words look funny to us sometimes, don't they? Sometimes you just see stuff in words and they, they seem just funny. I got a text message early last week uh, from a friend here at North Point. He said, hey, I got the message about this new series that you're doing at North Point called Deserts. Um, uh, he said, I want to let you know immediately when I saw that message, I thought of carrot cake, apple pie, chocolate chip cookies, and ice cream. His last line said, file this under see-what-you-want-to-see behavior disorder. So just so we're clear, we're in a series called Deserts, Not Desserts, all right? Uh, anybody else, anytime you see the deserts thing, think, oh, oh, what are we having today? All right. Um, this desert series is, is kind of like an addendum. It's a, it's a partner with our series that we had uh, for the three weeks before that called Mountains. Uh, the, uh, Jake preached. Uh, again, it was just a, it was a great thing to listen to him share about the power of God. Here's, here's the connector piece that I really want you to get a hold of because it's foundational to this set of the series. In the mountains, we glimpse the power of God. But in the deserts, we sense the presence of God. In the mountains, we see the power of God. But in the deserts, we sense the presence of God. A desert's a place without water, right? A place with, uh, geologically, less than 10 inches of water uh, a year. It's a wasteland. It's a barren place. It is a place for, for most people of hopelessness, of isolation. It's not a great place to be. Last week, if you, if you weren't here last week, I, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. Uh, take a look online. Uh, let me just say this while I'm doing it. Hey, if you're watching online, we're glad that you do. Uh, we're glad that you catch up because it, it brings some continuity. But if you weren't here, watch last week's message because it really is kind of the foundation for today as well. Three things that I w- really wanted you to walk away with last week. One is, one is this. A desert experience is normal for a, for a disciple of Jesus. Know that that's a normal thing. It's a normal thing to experience a desert time. Personally, spiritually, emotionally, that's a normal thing. Jesus said, in in this world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. It's a normal thing to go through that. The second thing was this. There are lots of reasons why we find ourselves in the desert. It may be the result of our own sin, of somebody else's sin, of God protecting us, God preparing us for something in the future. It may be a time of testing. It may be because God needs to get our attention, all kinds of reasons why we find ourselves in a desert. The last thing that we need to get a hold of that I, I wanted you to walk away with last week was this. Understand that you wouldn't be in the desert if God didn't have a plan for you there and something, in uh, if he w- wasn't going to use it for good afterwards. Uh, Romans 8, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1 says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, in our deserts, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. There's a purpose to being in the desert. Understand that. Um, the next two weeks, today and next week, I'm going to talk about very specific kinds of deserts. Um, today, I'm talking about the desert of depression. Um, and, and I want to tell you a couple things just as I get into this message. Um, it's not a fun week to prepare a message on Depression on the Desert Depression, um, listen to people's stories, listen, about, uh, listen to the stuff that they've been through, working through that process. It, it's, it's not fun. And, and, the, and I want to communicate that I feel really ill-equipped to present this. Not because I don't understand God's word and because I don't trust God's word, but because um, I'm by nature an optimist. Um, when, when I encounter someone who's going through a time of depression, I want to just say, oh, look on the bright side. And it's not that simple. Um, please hear my heart in this message, in, in the preparation. If, if you're working through a time of depression and you hear stuff today that is hurtful or painful, um, please, please listen for God to speak through that and know that my heart is not to do that. It's not to pile on. It, it really is to walk along with you and, and help you come out on the other side. Um, here's what I know. In a fallen world, the desert of depression is very real. We live in a fallen world, and depression is going to be a part of life here. Last week, you know, we, we, we said it's normal to go through the desert if you're a follower of Jesus. And that's a, that's a, we need to expect that. In a broken world, depression is, is going to be there. It's going to be very real. We don't want that to be true, right? We want, we want to come on Sunday morning and hear a great message. We want, to, we, want, we want to hear that when we give our lives to Jesus, everything is going to be okay. That we're going to be filled with joy. That there's going to be great stuff that happens to us. That God's going to bless us abundantly and richly over and over again. But here's the truth. Even when we follow Jesus, we still deal with broken arms and flat tires and failed tests And aging, and broken relationships, we still deal with depression. Until Jesus returns, depression will be a part of our world. For those who are part, for those who are disciples of Jesus, and those who aren't. Uh, Last week we talked about some of the people in Scripture who walked through deserts. Uh, There, there are specific people in Scripture I think that you can look at and say, "Man, they walked through the desert of depression." clearly solomon richest guy in the world who had everything he was wise he writes a book and the theme of the book is everything is meaningless that you know what that's the result of that's a the result of depression nothing makes any sense jeremiah one of the one of what we call the major prophets was known as the weeping prophet he was a, he was a guy who was just beside himself with depression because of the state of the nation of israel He wrote Lamentations, a book of laments, five poems about what a sorry state the world was in. Um, The Sons of Korah, um, the psalmist, there's a section of psalms that are just filled with um, expressions of what happens in depression. Um, The Sons of Korah, they were the worship pastors, all right? They were the guys who led the nation of Israel in worship. And I want you to hear some of the words of Psalm 88, this was, a, this was a song that was designed to be sung in worship to God. God, you're my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your salvation agenda. Take notes of the, on the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. I've camped on the edge of hell. I've written, I'm written off as a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case. Abandoned as already dead. One more body in a stack of corpses, and not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole in oblivion. Are you happy now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Good. You've dropped me into the bottomless pit, sunk me in a pitch black abyss. I'm battered senseless by your rage, relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. You turned my friends against me, you made me horrible to them. I'm caught in a maze and I can't find my way out, blinded by tears of pain and frustration. I call to you, God. All day I call. I wring my hands. I plead for help. Are the dead a live audience for your miracles? Do ghosts ever join in the choirs that praise you? Does your love make any difference in a graveyard? Is your faithful presence noticed in the corridors of hell? Are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark, your righteous ways noticed in the land of no memory? I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help. At my prayers every morning, on my knees each daybreak, God, why do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? As long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. Depression is real in the Bible. If if you struggle with depression, understand that God knows where you are. I've got a, I've got a friend uh, that taught in, in a Christian college, a kind of a, a peer of mine. And I remember uh, hearing him speak one time, and then reading a, a, a long paper he wrote about the state of worship in the United States, in, in Western culture. And it, his, the, the whole essence of what he talked about was, it was a gripe. It, it said, you know, when we come together to worship, it's all... Happy, 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 God's good, God's great, praise God, everything's wonderful. And and his point was, where is the lamenting in our worship? Where is the brokenness in our worship? Where's the acknowledgement that life is not all good? You know, that, that everything doesn't fall into place in the way that we'd like. Aren't we supposed to praise God when we grieve? Aren't we supposed to cry out to God in the wilderness like the sons of Korah in Psalm 88? The answer to that's yes. Depression is a reality in a, in a fallen world. If you struggle with depression, know that you're not alone. Abraham Lincoln suffered severe bouts of depression. Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, all had periods where they were overwhelmed by the darkness, the blackness of Depression. I want, to, I want to take a look this morning at a passage of scripture that Jake uh, preached from just actually three weeks ago uh, in 1 Kings, and I want to look at, you know, on the, on, in the mountain we see the power of God. But in the desert, we sense the presence of God. So if if you have your Bibles, take them out, uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. That's where we're going to be. And let me just kind of set the stage as a review. Um, In 1 Kings 17, Elijah is a prophet of God, and he goes to Ahab, who's a very evil king. Jezebel, his wife, who's even eviler, if that's a a word. Um, She's a bad, bad lady. Um, and, And Elijah says to them, look, here's the word from God. You guys have introduced idols. Uh, you've corrupted Israel. It's not going to rain. There's going to be a drought until I, and I until I tell you I'm any different. God is going to stop water from coming. And so that that's in chapter 17. Chapter 18. There there comes this contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And basically the the heart of the contest, the stakes of the contest, are that Elijah says, "Look, whoever burns up the altar, that's who we're going to serve. Israel, you've got to choose. Are you going to serve Baal? You're going to serve God." The living God. And here's, here's who's going to prove it. Um, we're going to build an altar, and the one that catches on fire, that's going to be the, the one true God. They go through the process, the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, cry out to Baal all day long. They cut themselves, they weep, they cry, they yell, they, do all, they dance, they do all kinds of stuff and nothing happens. And Elijah says, okay, now it's my turn, it's God's turn to show himself. And, and in the midst of a drought, he takes, um, he takes four containers, large containers of water and douses it over the sacrifice and over the altar. And he does that three times. Twelve containers, huge containers, so much so that the water fills a trench in the midst of a drought, wasteful like crazy. Elijah wanted it to be clear who God was. He covers that with water, and God supernaturally ignites that altar. It bursts into flame. The, the, um, The sacrifice is consumed. The altar is consumed itself by the power of God. And what happens after that is that the nation of Israel, as, as uh, Jake said so well, the nation of Israel calls out, the Lord he is God, the Lord he is God, the Lord he is God, and the nation of Israel turns back to God. The prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal get chased down, they get killed. The, 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 the followers of Baal get killed as well. There's this huge, huge win for God that happens That happens on Mount Carmel, and uh And that leads us into 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's start reading there. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how Ahab's the king, Jezebel's his wife, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I will not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, into the desert. He came to a broom bush, a juniper bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Sometimes, there are reasons for the depression that we experience, and sometimes not. I think when you look at what happens in First Kings 18, 17, 18, 19, there are some reasons for the depression that Elijah experiences. Uh, for him in this case, Elijah had expended himself in ministry. Sometimes, sometimes when we give ourselves and give ourselves and give ourselves, the end result of that is that, that we end up in a pl- place of depression Elijah had this conflict with the queen, with a lady who could, who could end his life. He had this relational conflict, and the end result of that was, was depression. Sometimes we end up in depression because of relational conflict. Elijah was afraid. What's it say in verse 3? Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Sometimes our fears bring about a sense of depression that overwhelms us. Elijah ran, he, he's physically exhausted by everything that's happened, and in that exhaustion, depression overtakes him. Sometimes depression comes because of physical exhaustion, because we expend ourselves over and over and over again and don't get the rest. We don't take time away. We don't let God refresh and replenish us. Sometimes that causes depression. Sometimes depression comes after a major victory. Right? Elijah, God has just used Elijah to defeat the prophets of Baal. He has seen one of the most incredible miracles in the Old Testament. God supernaturally coming down, just in an instant, catching this animal, this this altar on fire, supernaturally. Sometimes, in the midst of God's incredible work, after that, depression just seems to descend on us. Sometimes, sometimes depression comes just because we're so disappointed in what's happened around us. I I think as I've read um, 1 Kings 18 over and over again, I've wondered about Elijah as he looked out at the nation of Israel and he looked out at the prophets of Baal and watched them cutting themselves and going through the whole process and the nation of Israel going, I wonder who's going to win. They didn't know. They didn't know who was going to win. And I think Elijah just had this sickness in his gut that said, how have we gotten to this place? Sometimes depression comes in the midst of huge disappointment. And sometimes depression comes for no apparent reason at all. That doesn't make it any less real or any less overwhelming. Sometimes depression just comes. Elijah is smack dab in the desert of depression. So depressed he wants to die. So depressed he escapes by going to sleep. You may be wondering this morning, am I, am I dealing with depression? Maybe I'm a little discouraged. Am I really fighting depression? Let, let me just ask a question. What do you do to escape and how often? Some people escape by eating, right? Right? Some people escape um, by shopping. Some people escape by binging on Netflix. You know what? They don't have to deal with the world. They don't have to deal with their hurt if they can start a show and watch it for the next 72 hours in a row. Some people, um, some people escape by watching porn. Some people escape by being involved in adrenaline-based uh, play kind of stuff, jumping out of airplanes, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That's their escape me- mechanism. Some people escape by exercising over and over and over again. Some people escape by sleeping 16 or 18 hours a day. How often do you try and escape the world? How do you do that? In the desert of depression, Elijah was sleeping to escape the reality of what was going on around him. Next verse, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Can you, can you picture God making bread and setting water there for you? Bread over hot coals. Anybody smelled yeast bread recently. That's good stuff, right? Um, Elijah wakes up, God says, look, there's bread and water here, stuff that I've prepared for you. It, prepared by God, it can't get any better than that. And what's Elijah do? He eats it, he drinks it, and he goes back to sleep. He is in the depths of depression. That food didn't straighten out his thinking, even though God supernaturally had provided it for him. Verse 7, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went in the cave and spent the night. God's provided for him. God has shown him where to go. And when he gets there, what's he do? He goes in a cave and he goes back to sleep. The depression that Elijah experiences is real. He isolates himself when he gets there. Doesn't want to see anybody, doesn't want to talk to anybody, doesn't want to do anything. He's there. The word of the Lord came to him. What, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10. Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. Put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. Tornado, right? But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. King James, a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. A voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, in his depression, says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've tore down your altars. they put your death, uh, pro- prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. He's still in the des- desert of depression, even after hearing the still, small voice of God. God says, listen to me. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. The Lord said to him, go back, the way, go back the way you came and go, interestingly enough, to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will, will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God says, I've got a purpose for you, even in the midst of your depression, even in the desert that you're walking through, there are things that you need to do. You need to invest in others so that God's kingdom can can go forward. Um, Like I said, this, this has been a hard week in prep for this. Because there's a tension in me in in wanting to be able to give biblical advice that says, this is how you get out of depression. And the reality that says, you know what, when you're struggling in the depths of depression, advice is not what you need. We're going to get there in a second. Let Let me share some realities that exist in the desert of depression. The deserts of depression include these things. Understand that depression is a sign, it's a signal that something is not right in your life. It may be physically, it may be physiologically that there's something out of whack there. It may be something spiritually, it may be something emotionally. Don't think when you're depressed you just need to man up and, and, and blast through whatever you're going through and that you're just going to outlast it and work your way through it. Depression is a sign that something is not right in your life. Second thing, the second reality that, that is important for us as a body to come to grips with, Christians are the most likely to refuse to get treatment for depression. Because most of us think, oh, depression, it must be a spiritual issue, and it's only a spiritual issue, it's a sin, one Christian doctor that I, that I read said, there's nothing small about your faith if there are pills in your bathroom. Understand, if you're going through depression that's rooted in your physical body, you need to go get medical help to adjust those chemicals that, that are going on there. Third thing is this. Christians are the most likely to shame other Christians who get medical help for depression. I heard it over and over again, read it over and over again, that, that followers of Jesus are the ones that if they find out that somebody is getting medical help for depression, that they think, oh, you just don't have enough faith or whatever. Don't do that. Fourth thing is this. Be very sparing with advice to someone who is in a deep depression. Understand, that depression disables a person's ability to process or to apply advice. Depression, like grief, you can't think properly, and so when somebody gives advice to somebody who's depressed, it just feels like they're piling on. That advice is like dragging a person who's drowning out deeper in the water. So what do you do? How do you find hope if you're, if you're struggling with depression, um, find hope in the midst of the desert. Let, let me give you just a few things. The first thing is this. Rule out a medical, physical cause first. If you find yourself um, depressed, if you, if you find yourself trying to escape all the time, if you find yourself just overwhelmed with that sense of blackness that's there in the Psalms, go to a doc first. And let them do their checks to see if it's something physiologically that's going on. Because that can be treated, and that's an important component of getting well. Just like if your arm was broken, you would go and have it set. If there's something going on in your body physiologically that's causing that depression, you need help to get back on track. Um, I, in, in, writing, in writing the message, I thought, I, the, what my notes say, does that sound odd coming from a pastor? If you're dealing with depression, go to a doc first. Um, it, it may. But understand this. If, if when I go home today, if I'm driving home and I come upon an accident, and somebody in that accident has had an artery that's been nicked, and they're spurting blood the first thing that I'm going to do is put a tourniquet on them. And I'm going to pray through that whole process, okay? Don't miss that. But I'm not going to stop and say, oh, we, need to, we just need to pray for, for probably two or three minutes. We need to pray that God would stop that artery from spurting. That would be foolish, right? Because they'd die. We need to do what needs to happen first. Go see a doc first. Um, second thing is this. Please understand this. Know that God understands what you're going through and that he will get you through that. Jesus said, Mark 14, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus understands. Jesus is the one who said, I I will never leave you or forsake you. God, God said that to his people. I will never leave you or forsake you. God understands. Know that God understands what you're going through if you're if you're fighting with depression, the third thing is this: know that you 're in a church family that understands North Point is a place of grace we care you don't have to put on a facade and a, a happy face that say everything's going to be okay you don 't have to pretend you need to bring your your situation, your depression out into the open. Not with everybody, but you need to have some people that you trust that you can share that with. You need to talk about it, it with them. Um, my wife, Deb, has dealt with depression for a lot of years, and she's, she's taken meds to keep her balanced and at times functional. Um, as we talked, as she and I talked about this, um, She said, you've got to tell people that I take meds because people need to understand that if that's where you are, that's a path that God uses to bring healing and to bring balance and to bring the ability to push through that time of depression. You're in a place that that people care. North Point is a place of grace. Here's what I've learned as her husband in this process. Assuming depression is the result of being outside the will of God uh, um, that there's nothing that, that there's not something physically out of whack in her body is very short sighted and hurtful let me, let me say that again when I assume um, that the depression that she goes through is the result of being outside the will of God that it doesn't have anything to do with chemically what's going on in her body I, I miss the mark completely here's what I've learned as a pastor though in conjunction with that. Assuming that depression is simply a physical issue that can, be, that can be affected with the right kind of medications is also short-sighted. It's not either or. It's both and. If the root of your depression is a sin issue, no amount of medication will solve the problem. It might pacify it, it might help you deal with it, but no amount of alcohol, no amount of pot, no amount of meth, of cocaine, of Cymbalta, of Zoloft, or Xanax, or Lexapro, or Prozac, will help bring resolution to a sin problem. Likewise, if the root of your problem is physiological, if it's a physical thing that's going on in your, in your body, if the chemicals in your body are messed up, for whatever reason— No amount of repentance, no amount of self-examination, no increased amount of time in spiritual disciplines will fix that issue. Pray in faith. God may heal you supernaturally. He may choose to do that. But take your meds. Turn to somebody and say, take your meds. Take your meds. Take your meds. All right? Here's the bottom line. Here's Here's the bottom line on this whole thing. If you're if you're struggling with depression, don't isolate yourself. Don't try and hide it. It won't help you get through the valley in a healthy way. You need someone to listen, someone to walk through you with the valley. Your life group um, is key. You need to worship, even you need to worship even if all you do is come and sit in the back row and cry silently, or cry out loud. Loneliness is the enemy of recovery. Loneliness is the enemy of recovery. Fourth thing is this. Know in the midst of your depression that God sees what we can't. God knew what Elijah needed to do. God knew that there were 7,000 more faithful Israelites. Focus on the blessings in your life. Remember how God has worked in the past. How he's working in your life, even when you can't sense it right now. On the land portion of our Alaska trip that Deb and I were just um, at, uh, just on, we drove through a really interesting place in the Yukon Territory called the Carcross Desert. Uh, it's not something I ever expected to see in, uh, on an Alaska trip, the Carcross Desert. The Car- Carcross Desert receives less than 10 inches of rain a year. It has large dunes of sand. It has sparse desert vegetation. It's just like the Sahara Desert in Africa, except that the Sahara is comprised of 3 million square miles. And the Carcross Desert is the world's smallest desert. It's just one square mile. If you're lost in the Carcross, or you're lost in the Sahara, it all looks the same. Barren sand. It doesn't look better or worse in one place or the other. It all looks the same. The thing that was so powerful to me about seeing the Carcross Desert, though, wasn't the crazy weirdness of seeing a desert in the Yukon Territory. It was the presence of this... Emerald Lake only six miles away not six miles away is a place of beauty a place of rest and here's here's the crazy thing the same conditions that caused the Carcross Desert caused Emerald Lake if you're lost in the Carcross You just need to head in the right direction to find a place of incredible beauty. Jesus knows that direction. Jesus came to a broken world to meet us where we are in our brokenness, in our depression. In the mountains, we see the power of God. In the deserts, we sense the presence of God prophet isaiah wrote this and jesus quoted it the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair or depression. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here's the way I want to end today. We're going to sing a song that 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 gives an invitation that says, "Come to the altar." The Father's arms are open wide, I, and I just I I want us to sing. Feel free to come down and pray. Um, God knows what's going on in your life. If somebody that you're with, uh, somebody that you know, comes down, and you want to come down and pray with them, just pray silently for them. I know that just your presence. Um, makes a big difference. When we struggle with depression, God knows exactly what's going on, and he doesn't leave us. Let's spend some time singing, praying, proclaiming the goodness of God this morning. Let's stand together.